What a joy to celebrate with these graduates and their families this morning. This morning, my sermon is going to be directed toward these graduates, but I believe there will be insight for all of us as we work through uh, Ecclesiastes 12. I want to ask you as we begin to take a look at this picture. Now, graduates, if you see that young man in the center, uh, do you know who that is? Does anybody have any guesses? It is President George H.W. Bush, the 41st president of our country. He was about 20 years old when, when this picture was taken. At that time, he had his whole life ahead of him. He had enlisted in the Navy when he was a senior in high school in the midst of, of World War II. He went on to be a pilot, and of course, eventually, he went on to become the president of the United States. Before we conclude, we'll come back to, to George W. Bush. But what I want to ask you, graduates, this morning is what will you do with your life? You have your whole world uh, or your whole life ahead of you. What, what will you do? What will your life be about? As we think about these questions together, we want to get some advice from a fella who died a long, long time ago. He wrote uh, the, the words that we'll be re uh, reading to reflect on his own life, his own pursuits, but his intent was to guide you in yours. His name is Solomon. Let's start back when Solomon was young, like you. He was full of vitality. He had everything grow, uh, going for him. He grew up the son uh, of a, a great leader, a very popular uh, uh, hero in his time. The nation that he grew up in was flourishing and strong. He was young. And like you, he had his whole life ahead of him. Well, at this point in his life, he was about to become the king of Israel. God went to Solomon and he said to Solomon, I'm going to give you a request. And Solomon didn't ask for money or fame or all the things that you might imagine. He asked for wisdom to guide the nation, to be able to be a good leader for the nation. God was pleased with his request. He was so pleased with him that he gave him not only exceptional wisdom, but he gave him a wealth and, and honor as well. During Solomon's reign, Israel would be the dominant nation in the entire region. However, Solomon's life was a life filled with contradictions. With all of the blessings that God had given him, he still strayed away from the Lord. Now let's fast forward to the end of Solomon's life. Now Solomon is an aged man and the inevitable decline of advancing years has transformed this once strong and vibrant man into a hardly recognizable version of himself. He had had years of experience and he had made a lot of mistakes. These mistakes that Solomon made had brought a lot of pain into his life. And so Solomon reflects on his experiences. He has something to say, but who is Solomon speaking to? Graduates, I want you to know he's speaking to you. The intent of, his, uh, of writing this letter was that the young people might learn from the mistakes that he had made, might avoid the scars that, that his body bore. He is speaking to you this morning. What is Solomon's message? We'll explore Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 together. If you'd like to follow along, you're welcome to take a pew Bible and turn to page 593. In verse 1, Solomon gets straight to the point. He urges he urges you to remember your creator while you were young. By calling God your creator, Solomon is making a statement. He's making a statement about 
who you are and who God is. You see, God is the creator of all the universe. What Solomon is saying is, remember that you're the created one, but God is is the ruler over all things. Want to know how life is supposed to work? Well, go back to what the creator has to say. That's what Solomon is saying to to these young people. What does God say? That's going to give you the best take on how to advance in life and how to move forward in life. Solomon wants you to remember who God is and who you are. He is your creator. Now, by remember, when he says remember your creator in the days of your youth, he doesn't mean he wants you to remember the God's creator, like you might remember the, the capitals of the, of the various states of the United States. He doesn't mean that. What he's saying is he wants you to remember God as your creator so that in every decision you make, every choice you make, you strive to live in such a way that you're honoring him, that, that you're striving to obey him. Sometimes people will say, well, hey, you know what? I'm going to live my life however I want to right now. And one day I'm going to get things sorted out with God. You know, I'm just, I want to enjoy life. There'll be a day, there'll be a time that I'll get things sorted out. But today I just want to enjoy life. Guess what? Solomon fell into the very same trap. He thought he could live life the way he wanted to live it and overlook any kind of devotion to God. But now with years of stupid and sinful decisions, Solomon bore a lot of scars. And he knew this was foolishness. And young people, you too are going to be tempted to live a life that ignores God. That's going to be a real temptation just to to go out there and make your, your way in the world and ignore what God has to say. But Solomon is pleading with you, don't make that terrible mistake. It seems reasonable enough but it's foolishness for several reasons. First, it assumes that you'll live a long life. And graduates, you may not live a long life. I I could die this afternoon. So could you. When when is the time to to get things right with God? It's today. We, We don't know if we'll have tomorrow. Second, living this kind of life, a life apart from God, brings a lot of pain into our lives. Much of what seems great in this life, partying, living it up, hooking up, etc., All of those things can be good for a while. But in the long run, they bring heartache into our lives. They they bring hurt into our lives. Sometimes the consequences can be so devastating that they even lead to death. Third, the reason that Solomon doesn't want you to think in this way, forgetting God, is because you waste your life. If If you live your whole life and then you wake up in the autumn of your years and recognize that you could have been living for God, You wasted so many years, and graduate Solomon doesn't want that for you. He he wants you to live life now, walking intimately with God, walking closely with God, obeying him. Right now, Solomon says, while you're young. Now, at the end of verse 1, Solomon wants you to realize that your life will be over in an instant. Graduates, you may feel like you're going to live forever, but in reality, life flashes before you as quickly as a flash of lightning in the sky. It's difficult to see when you're young, but it's impossible not to see when you're old. The days of adversity, adversity, Solomon says, are going to come for you quickly. You're young and, and healthy. Enjoy these years. Walk with God during these years. That's what Solomon is saying. They will not last. In the final years of your life, there'll be much heartache. If you live long enough, most of your friends will pass away. Family members will die. You'll find yourself lonely. Your body will become feeble. You won't talk about how much you can bench. You'll be focused on 
trying to take care of the necessities of life may need help even eating or, or other basic necessities. So Solomon says, don't waste your life. These hard days are coming fast for you. In verse 2, Solomon describes aging and death in terms of, of weather. In the latter years, he says the clouds are dark and the rain begins to pour. The lights of the sky grows dimmer. In other words, life is winding down. It's the final stretch. In this wintry season of life, Solomon says one storm ends. And as soon as it does, well, the clouds gather again only to bring another storm. As a young person, illness and difficulty in this life are just setbacks. Usually they're just temporary setbacks. You, you work through them and then you keep going. But Solomon says in this final season of life, the hardships that come, well, they often just lead to another hardship. Not a temporary setback, but the reality that death is coming. Solomon wants you to understand the brevity, the shortness of life before it's too late. If you really understand, you'll make different decisions now while you're still young. In verses 3 and 4, Solomon pictures a grand house that was once glorious, but now a house that is deteriorating. And many commentators believe that Solomon uses this imagery to describe the deterioration of his own body. There are different interpretations, but I'm going to share some possibilities with you. When Solomon speaks of the guardians of the house in verse 3, he's referring to his hands. In his old age, his hands no longer provide the kind of protection and security that they once did, but now they tremble. With, 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 with years, many elderly folks experience those involuntary tremors. Solomon says, that's what my hands do. And then he speaks of the strong men that stoop. Probably this is a reference to his shoulders. Solomon once stood strong and proud, but now he finds himself stooped over. And then he speaks of the women who grind grain, who, who are no longer able to. This is a picture of his teeth. He could once chew his own food. Now someone has to grind his food for him. Next, he speaks of the ones who, who watch through the window. What he's saying is that his eyesight is, is poor. He can barely see. So not only is Solomon's eyesight declined, but his hearing has as well. Solomon speaks of the doors at the street being shut. In other words, his hearing is growing worse and worse. He says you can hardly feel the, hear the sound of the mill. But at night, he says the faintest sound wakes him up. Even a bird's twitter awakens him. He can't hear well, but he's startled easily. That's what Solomon says. And in verse 4, he speaks of the daughter's song. And he's likely here referring to joy and celebration. As he grows older, there's less joy. Life has become hard. In fact, life is leaving Solomon behind. In Ecclesiastes 12.5, we see that older fo folks become more fearful. They're aware of their feebleness. They may fall. They may get hurt. So Solomon recognizes his vulnerability. And then Solomon speaks of the almond tree blossoms, which are white. And so he's speaking of, of hair graying and turning white. Next, he speaks of the grasshopper that can no longer jump. He, he says, I can't get along like I, like I once did. And he speaks of the caperberry tree having no effect. The caperberry tree was believed to, to be a sexual stimulant, but at his age, it had no effect. He could not function as he once did. At the end of verse 5, Solomon ditches the imagery and the poetic talk, and he just lays it out plainly. Solomon may be a king, but he's headed for the grave just the same. He is just a mortal, 
And young people, this is his message to you. You may feel immortal, but you're not. You're headed to the grave too. It will come quickly for you. And so Solomon wants you to make good decisions now. In verse 6, Solomon captures the beauty and the frailty of the human body. It's a remarkable work of art, but extremely fragile. Solomon speaks of a snapped silver cord, of a broken golden bowl, a shattered jar, and a wheel that is broken. In verse 7, Solomon alludes to the fall back in Genesis 3 when, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And he reminds us that our bodies will return to dust, our spirits to God. So Solomon says, let the reality of death stir you. Let the reality that you will not live forever wake you up. The time to make a change is not one of these days. When your life is nearly over, the time to make a change, to get things right with God, Solomon says, is today. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. That's Solomon's message. In verse 8, Solomon raises his voice. He wants us to hear this. He cries out with distress, with, with a crackling voice, life is futility. Other versions will say vanity or meaningless. What's Solomon saying? He's suggesting that life apart from God has no ultimate meaning. He wants you to hear him. Life apart from God cannot fulfill you. It cannot bring true happiness. Now, in your mind, you may be arguing with Solomon. Perhaps you're quite a thinker, a bit of an academic. And when you hear Solomon's declaration, you know better. You've already learned so much, and, and there's so much more to learn. You are after your education, and you've discovered that in learning more and more, there, there is meaning. But Solomon knew all about wisdom and knowledge. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, Solomon explained that he tried to find meaning and knowledge. And here is his testimony. See, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned that this too is a pursuit of the wind. For with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. You see, learning more and more apart from God doesn't lead to a greater life. It leads ultimately to more heartache, more sorrow, if we do so apart from God. Maybe you're not as enthused about learning and education. Maybe your focus is on fun. Life is short. Drink up, hook up, live it up. Guess what? Solomon tried that too. Here is words in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I said to myself, go ahead. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. I said about laughter, it's madness, and about pleasure. What does this accomplish? I explored with my mind the pull of wine on my body. You see, Solomon had lived it up. He had been drinking and partying. He had had lots of women. If you read his story, you'll see that Solomon had hundreds of sexual partners, beautiful women, fit for a king. And yet this pursuit of pleasure apart from God, this hedonism didn't fulfill Solomon. It left him empty. It did not bring him the happiness that he had longed for and hoped for, and it will not you either. 
Maybe you're too smart to to chase after sinful pleasures. You know what you want. You're going to make money and you're going to make lots of it. You're going to get rich. You're going to enjoy not just life, but you're going to enjoy the finest things of life. You're going to have the luxuries of life. Solomon said in Chapter 2, verse 8, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and, and provinces. In other words, Solomon had all he could ever want and so much more. But his luxury and his wealth apart from God, well, these things left him wanting. Learning, pleasure, wealth, none of these pursuits mean a thing apart from God. Solomon wants you to hear him. Learning and education can be great, but not as a replacement for God. Pleasure is awesome as long as it's lived within the boundaries given by God. But pleasure can't become your God. Wealth and riches can can be a great blessing, but they can't define your life. None of these things apart from God will lead to a life of happiness. Apart from God, these pursuits are futile. They are meaningless. They will give you a thrill for a while, but young people, they can't ultimately satisfy. In verses 9 through 11, Solomon speaks of himself as the teacher. He had taught and collected and authored thousands of Proverbs. Proverbs are wise sayings uh, about life. Notice that Solomon said that he sought to write the words of truth accurately. What Solomon is suggesting is that his words aren't just his words, that but that he strove to write the truth that God would have him write. So Solomon's the author, but ultimately he's not. Ultimately, his words are given by inspiration from God. So Solomon wants you to realize these aren't simply the mutterings of an old man, but these are God's words. You may think to yourself, how could God use a fellow like Solomon to write Scripture? Well, in this scenario, God strikes a straight lick with a crooked stick, and he does so every time that he uses you or me, because every one of us is sinful as well. So God uses the sinful choices of Solomon to guide us to write truth, truth that isn't the meanderings of of some wannabe philosopher, but wisdom from a fella who knew from sinful choices and experiences the foolishness of living life apart from God. In reality, Scripture claims to be the very Word of God. We believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, that it it is completely true and without error. And that's exactly what Solomon claims here. You can trust the Bible. God gave us His Word to guide us. You'll find that many who argue uh, uh, that God's Word isn't true, that there are many who will say, you can't trust the Word of God. But please, don't blindly buy into these critiques. Young people, study these claims for yourself because the Word of God can withstand scrutiny. Every claim that people make against the Word has been answered. In His love, God has spoken His Word to us so that you're not without a guide for life. Solomon pleads for you to listen. In verse 11, he suggests that God's Word is like a a cattle prod or a go. Now, a prod was used to, to poke a sheep, a sheep that was getting off the path. You, the, the farmer would, or the shepherd would poke that sheep and help the sheep get back in line. And Solomon says, that's what God's word does for us. It, it kind of pokes us. It gives us a nudge. When we start traveling in the wrong direction, the word will help us get back on the path. Then Solomon says that those who master God's word are like well-driven nails. In other words, their lives are firmly infixed in that which is solid. 
The word of God is solid. Once again, Solomon suggests that his words aren't his own, but the words of the shepherd, the very words of God. So God will use his word to keep you from going the wrong direction. It'll, he'll use his word to get you back on the path, to give you strength, to provide you with guidance. And in so many more ways, Solomon says here that God is our shepherd. He loves you. He cares for you. In fact, about a thousand years after these words were written, God would put an exclamation point on the fact that he loved you. About a thousand years after these words were written, God would send one who is called the good shepherd. He would come and give his life on a cross for you. See, Jesus left heaven and he came to earth and he lived a perfect life. He was nailed to the cross and he took our sin upon himself. And he made a way for sinners to be made right with God. He was buried and he came back to life. And now when we turn from our sin and we call out to Jesus in faith, God saves us and he never lets us go. What, what good news is that in John 10 Verse 11, Jesus said this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. God loved you so much, young people. He loves you so much that he gave his own son. There'll be days that you wonder about God's love. There'll be some hard days. And you'll think, if this could happen, could God really love? Remember that he sent his son. That's how much he loves He's the good shepherd. He cares for you. In verse 12, Solomon warns that there's no end to the, the ideas that people will invent. Book after book will be written. People will chase after answers here. People will chase after answers there. Studying what others have written can be fun and informative. But in the end, it will not satisfy the soul. Education's good, but it can't heal the human heart. In verse 13, we see the climax of the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon says, when it comes down to it, this is what life is about. Fear God and obey his commands. Fear God and obey his commands. Solomon says, this is the purpose of all humanity. People were created for a relationship with God. A relationship with God makes the rest of life make sense. Solomon says, to fear God. What does he mean by fear? Well, he means that we should have an awe of God that inspires us to get to know him more and more. It's sort of like this. When you see something that's, that's beautiful and awesome and incredible, you want to look at it. You, you want to know more about it. Solomon says, look at God and fear him, have an awe of him, recognizing how awesome he is. And having an awe of God and a fear of God also causes us to want to leave sin behind because we see how pure and beautiful he is. And there's no way we would want to do anything that would displease him. So Solomon says, walk in a fear of God, knowing that he's sovereign with a deep respect for him. And then Solomon gives one final warning. Remember that God is the ultimate reality. Whether you live as if this is true or not, you will know it one day with absolute certainty. You will stand before God at the judgment. That, that's what Solomon says. And what you thought you could hide away, Solomon says, can't be hidden from the eyes of God. He knows all your secrets. Nothing, nothing is hidden from the eyes of God. You can live life apart from him for a time, but one day your foolishness, it'll be exposed for what it is. 
you will stand before him in all of your pretending and all your masks and all your disguises and all your games. That'll all be over. How much better if we heed the words of Solomon today? What is Solomon's message? To experience the best life, pursue God passionately now. To experience the best life, pursue God passionately now. Don't wait. Graduates, how many of you have been to a corn maze? Have you guys ever been to a corn maze? Okay, yeah, I've been to a corn maze. For a, for a moment, I want you to imagine that you've been blindfolded and that you've been taken to a corn maze that is dozens and dozens and dozens of acres, huge, and you've been put in the middle of this corn maze, blindfolded, given no instructions, and the maze itself has no instructions or clues. Your blindfold is taken off, and you've been told, good luck. So you begin wandering around the maze, try, trying to figure out which way do I go. You take this path, and ultimately it's a dead end. And then you take another path, and then that too is a dead end. And after hours and hours and hours of wandering around, you begin to lose heart. Which way do I go? What, what should I do? Graduates, what Solomon is saying to you is that you don't have to live life like that. He's telling you right now, this path is a dead end. And if you'll take that path, that path will lead to life. You don't have to live life blindly, thrown into it. That's what God is saying to you. Why don't you come and follow after me? Take my path. God is, is pleading with you. Solomon pleads with you. Don't make the mistakes that I made. No, while you're young, pursue God, chase him, love him. So let's think about how to live the truths of this passage out first you don't have to learn the hard way. You don't have to learn the hard way. It's not impossible for you to learn from Solomon's mistakes. You don't have to be tricked by this philosophy or, or that teaching. You don't have to be tricked into following the world's wisdom, a wisdom that can't satisfy your soul. You don't have to give in to partying and drinking and drugs. You can avoid all of that. You don't have to give in to hooking up with this guy or that gal or moving in with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. No, you can walk in purity. You don't have to be driven by, by greed and materialism to get more and more and more. Why? Because you know that none of these things can satisfy, not ultimately. Because you know that real life is found when you draw close to God and you walk with him. Solomon says, look at my scars that you might not have to bear these wounds. Second, everything that glitters isn't gold. The world will throw a lot of things at you that glitter, but they're not all what you need. So put your focus on the things that really matter, not just what the world dangles before you. Third, the Bible is true and trustworthy. Online and in the classroom, there'll be professors, friends, blogs, supposed authorities who are going to tell you that the Bible and the Christian faith are oppressive. They're pro-slavery. They're anti-women. The Bible's unscientific. It's contradictory. And the list could go on and on. Young people, the various arguments about the Christian faith and about the scriptures have been answered and are being answered by Christian scholars. So if you begin to have questions, do your own research. The word can handle that. The Christian faith is true. Fourth, stay in church. Now, some of you are going to say, wait a minute, pastor, there's no mention of church in this passage. And you're right. But inherent in Solomon's argument is the need to be around others who can speak into our lives, who can give us wisdom, who can walk alongside us. And, and we know that Christians are, are supposed to walk with other believers in the context of a local church. So, so I want to encourage you, graduates, 
If you stick around here, stay in church. If you, if you take off and go away to school, the first Sunday there, decide I'm going to be in church. Because if you're not careful, you get out of routine and it's easy to start sleeping in on Sunday morning. Who doesn't want to sleep in on Sunday morning, right? So, so, so don't make that mistake. Stay in church. Find a church that's committed to the Bible and stay there where, where folks who are wise can speak into your life and, and guide you. Like Solomon has spoken into our lives this morning. Fifth, seek God every single day and live for him. Seek him every day, every day. Graduates, get up and read the Bible and spend time in prayer. Ask God to help you get to know him more. Ask God to give you a desire to obey him. And as you seek him and as you strive to draw close to him, he will guide your steps. He'll be with you. He's the good shepherd. He he cares for you. As you follow him, life won't be easy. You're going to be thrown some curveballs. We live in a sinful and broken world. But if you strive to walk with him every day, you're going to find that he's right beside you. He's going, to be, he's going to be right with you. Graduates, true happiness will only be found in following him. Remember this picture of, of President Bush? Look at him there, 20 years old. But now look at this picture. This is a picture of, of President Bush. Uh, just weeks before his death at the age of 94, he's pictured with, with his granddaughter. Graduates, this, this will be your story in no time. You're young now, but in the blink of an eye, in a flash, you'll be right here. Life will be nearing its end, just like Solomon. Right now, graduates, you do have your whole life ahead of you. I plead with you, Follow God, love him. Decide you're gonna make your life about him. Imagine what could happen if you didn't follow after all of the dead ends that the world throws at you, but instead you lived with passion for Jesus. Imagine the pain and the brokenness and the heartache that you could avoid. Imagine the scars that your body wouldn't have to bear. Imagine the happiness and joy that that you could experience as you walked in fellowship with God and how God could use you to help others as, as you loved on others and told others about Jesus. Oh, graduates, to experience the best life, pursue God now with passion. Get right with Jesus today. This goes for every one of us. You may be advancing in years and saying to yourself, it's too late. Friends, it's never too late. If there's breath, in your lungs, then God still has a plan and you still have an opportunity to get right with him. So I plead with you, all of you today, get right with Jesus. Get right with him. Don't wait. Don't don't say, well, one of these days I'll get things right. No, draw close to him today. He'll help you. He'll be beside you. He's he's not going to leave you alone when you pray a prayer like that. God, help me to know you and walk with you. He's going to answer you and help you. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, and in a crowd this size, there have to be many who have never genuinely come to know Christ personally. Today, I want to urge you to turn to him in faith to be saved. Tell Jesus that you recognize your sin and that you need forgiveness. Tell him that you believe that he died on the cross and that he came back to life and say to him, I want to follow you. And when you turn away from your sin and you call out to Jesus in faith, he saves you. And friend, he doesn't just save you and help you here on earth. He gives you eternal life. You'll know him as your shepherd. He won't just be a shepherd. 
He'll be your shepherd. So I ask you today, has there ever been a time in your life where you have turned from your sin and put your faith in Jesus? If that's never happened, today could be the day. You could be given eternal life. Let's pray.